0: On here, oh, there I am. Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning! Welcome to Wednesday Chapel. My name is Paul Brandis, and I serve here at Sterling as the Associate VP for Student Life and the Chaplain of the College. Thank you for gathering with us. We do this on Wednesdays and Fridays uh, to worship in this space. And we believe that worship is more than just what we do here. Uh, It's much broader than that. But this is one of the ways that we worship uh, Jesus, one of the ways we respond to who he is and what he has done. And we believe that he is Lord, king of the entire universe, that he is even king over death, that he rose from the grave. And so we ought to, because of that and so much else, respond to him in worship. So that's why this is such an important part of our pattern here and habits here at Sterling College. So thank you for being part of that. Wanted to remind us of what we've been doing on most Wednesdays uh, here in chapel. So uh, we've been journeying through a teaching series called The Good Life. The Good Life. And the hook of this series, and hopefully it has hooked you a little bit, is really simple. We started way back in uh, six weeks ago, First Chapel. I asked this this question, right? Like everybody wants to live the good life but not everybody does, so what's up with that? Like, it's worth exploring that there's a pretty universal desire to structure our lives in a way that is good, not bad. And yet, people are admitting all the time that they're not living the good life that they want to live, so why that gap? What is going on with that and what might be a way to achieve the good life that all of us want? And so we've been looking at that over the last several weeks. We've been uh, obviously in scripture, but we've also uh, been aided by a really great book called On Reading Well, um, and Karen Swallow Pryor in that book, she talks about virtues, these habits of excellence as a pathway towards the good life, and so that's what we're entering into today. Uh, and Stephanie, actually, Mankata is going to be uh, bringing a message on one of those habits of excellence, one of those virtues, a really, really foundational and important one, uh, so I'm eager for that to happen
1: Thank you so much for this day, God. Thank you that we can gather in this space freely um, and worship you. I pray that you would guide our hearts towards you, Lord. Um, Help us to know you better and help us to love those around us. You're so good to us, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the hope that you offer. I pray that you please be with Stephanie today, God. Speak through her. Um, Help her words to touch our hearts this morning. It's your name that I pray. Amen. What a song, huh? I love this song. Why don't you sing it with me? I love the chorus. People killing, people dying. When you practice what you preach. Father, 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 help us. Yeah, I like this side. Because people got me, got me. Thank you. Where is the love? Can we? That song is so good. Give your hands, yourselves a hand for for singing that with me. That's insane. I love, I love, um, I love this song. But I also love, no pun intended, the virtue that we get to talk about today, um, because it prompts every other virtue, and that virtue is love. Um, There was a study done by Harvard Medical School that followed the course of hundreds of men, the course of life of hundreds of men for 75 years. And that study found that what it was trying to find was, what is the thing that brings us most life satisfaction? And what they found was that it was warm and loving relationships that brought the most life satisfaction. Another study found that Love can, or the lack of love can actually be fatal for children. And also that if babies born in a prison system, if they were raised by their mothers in that prison system, that they actually had a better life than those that were raised outside of the prison system while their mothers were in jail, um, even though they were being raised by highly trained professionals. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we truly cannot function without love. Our bodies need to function out of being loved. And a perfect uh, illustration of this is in the movie Castaway. I don't know if you guys know that movie, but we see Chuck Nolan or Tom Hanks um, playing the role of a man who is stranded on an island after his plane crashes. And what we find in this movie is that uh, Chuck Nolan finds this uh, within the, all the debris, um, he finds this volleyball and he puts a face on this volleyball, and he names it, what? Wilson, Wilson. he names it Wilson. And it's this volleyball that actually keeps uh, Chuck Nolan sane during his time on this island. But it wasn't the volleyball. It was this illusion of an idea of community. And Chuck Noland, who prior to the crash on this island, um, was a busy man, learned to value community after the fact because he realized that he needs that and he needed that to survive. Karen Swallow Pryor, the author we're doing this series on, um, states the following in her book. The film, powerf- this film, uh, uh, Castaway. The film powerfully shows how love and companionship, even if only in the form of a volleyball, are nearly as necessary to human survival as food, water, and shelter. That's crazy. She also says, "This need is so strong that if it goes unmet, it will result in insanity." We need companionship, love so badly that if we lack it, we will create the illusion of it as Nolan does with this volleyball named Wilson just to survive. There you go. There's a the solution to our world's problems. Amen, you're dismissed. But it's obviously not that simple, right? If love is so essential, to our survival, if it's so powerful, why isn't it working properly then? Why isn't love working? Why does it seem to be so messed up? 21 Savage wrote this song, or wrote these lyrics in the song, I'd rather have loyalty than love because love really don't mean jack. See, love is just a feeling. You can love somebody and still stab them in the back. It don't take much to love. You can love somebody just by being attached. See, loyalty is an action. You can love or hate me and still have my back. Facts. So 21 Savage seems to be summarizing what love looks like in this world, in this culture. And maybe you agree with these words. Maybe you agree with the words that, maybe you prefer loyalty over love. Maybe love really doesn't mean anything to you anymore because you've been betrayed. And maybe it's just a feeling, a fleeting feeling for you now. Maybe it's just a word that's tied to absolutely no action, and yeah, maybe, maybe love really don't mean jack to you anymore. I hear you. I don't know how many times I know that I've been betrayed. I don't know how many times I've been hurt when I've loved, so I understand. But can I remind you of something? Because loving is so powerful, of course, Satan will use something just as beautiful as this thing that is love, that's supposed to be a powerful weapon in order to distort it for you and make you look at things that really are not love. They're not the real image of love. 1 Peter 5.8 declares, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If he's prowling around looking for someone to devour and trying to make us look at images of things that don't look like love, if he can take love from us, then we truly are lifeless individuals and capable of receiving or giving anything. Therefore, I'm here to talk about what true love is supposed to look like and how this love that I'm about to talk about is countercultural to what our world believes love is supposed to look like today. So Karen Swallow Pryor in her book says that the type of love we should be practicing is one called charity and charity entails two things. Loving God first. Number two, loving all else in God. Loving God first, and number two, loving all else in God. 1 John 4, 7 tells us, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We cannot love We're incapable of love without first loving God above all things. And Karen Swallow Pryor writes, There is no tyranny like the tyranny of a desire that draws us away from God. In other words, there's nothing worse than something that steals your love from God away from the only true and purest form of love. And that's why it's so important to understand why 21 Savage wrote what they said. You see, the love that they're talking about is a cheap kind of love. A cheap kind of love that seems so transactional. It does not take a whole lot. It becomes too attached. It's not loyal. And the thing is, every single one of those members desires love. They want to feel loved. But what they're loving is an illusion. It's an illusion of something that separates them from the real thing. And hear me out. Anything that pushes you away from God and pushes you to love something outside of God is an illusion because we cannot love or be true or be loyal without God's love being present in our own lives First, and you will find time and time again that the things that you love outside of God will consistently disappoint you and leave you and fail you and betray you and be disloyal to you and so anything that tries to grab your attention outside of God himself is an illusion And the way that that kind of hit my own life is um, growing up, I, I always thought that I was such an inconvenience to people. I actually did not know what it felt like to truly just be loved for just being. And so I thought that if I could just perform just right, that somehow people would notice me and it worked. It worked time and time again, every single time I performed right, I would get this spotlight for a hot second. And finally, I felt like I was receiving the love that I so craved. What I didn't know was that this performance was an illusion of the real thing because it would leave. My spotlight would dim and I would find something else to try to grab people's attention to love me because I didn't understand what that was. And it was so, it was so, so tiring but I got so addicted to it, I got so addicted to the performance, I got so addicted to the doing, to the achieving, that it made me so depressed because I wasn't receiving the real thing. I was receiving this image of what I thought was real, but it wasn't. It was taking away everything within me that I thought was bringing and supposed to bring life. So, fast forward into my teens, when I first went to this youth retreat, and first realized who God was and who Jesus was and what he did for me, I remember this beautiful moment within that retreat, realizing that I I felt something that felt unlike anything I'd ever felt before. I felt like there was someone and a father that was finally noticing me just for who I was. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no pain. There was no transaction. The only transaction was, give me your pain and let me give you my love, and that was so beautiful. It was so, so beautiful, but it only lasted for a day because the moment I got back home and I realized, shoot, I wanna love this God, how can I keep his love? How do I retain the love of this God that I felt that day? What can I do to keep his love? So then I started performing for God. I started performing because I tried to run away from my sin. I tried to run away from the things that brought me shame. And so I would count the things that I did right in a day. I'd be like, all right, I did this, 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 this. Cool. Maybe God can forgive me for the sin I did yesterday. Maybe God can forgive me for the sin I just did right now. Maybe if I do this, then he will finally continue to love me. And then I ended back into this state of depression because I realized that I just became a performer. I was just performing. And unfortunately, I started craving the performing more than I did God because I realized that if I looked at God, all I would see on his face was disappointment and disgust as to who I was. I began to love the performing more than I loved God. I began to love the faces of people I saw um, who were giving me love and feedback whenever I did perform. I thought that the performing would be more life-sustaining and life-giving than God himself. And all it was doing was eating me alive. I was losing my sense of belonging, my essence. And so I kept trying to do it some more until I just hit rock bottom. And I was talking to my mentor about it finally, and I was like, you know, I was describing all these things that I was struggling with and, and telling her this is how I'm feeling, and I don't understand, I feel like I'm doing all the things right, and, and, and yet I have all this shame that's still attached, and, and she asked me, Stephanie, when you look at God in a moment that you're experiencing shame, what do you see? And I replied, I can't. I can't look at him because he's so disappointed, which is the reason I performed, actually. Uh, I tried to earn his love or someone's love back, uh, which is a story for another time, but I didn't realize that that was the reason why I was performing. And she told me again, why don't you actually try to look at how he's seeing you? Because it looks like you're transferring onto God the faces of those that looked at you in disgust and disappointment when you were growing up. What if you actually try to see what his face looks like towards you? And when she said that, I just kind of stared at her. And I was like, well, how in the world do I do that? Do I just tell God to show up and show me his face? Like, what do I do? And it was in this moment of intense staring that I finally noticed her. And I noticed the way that she was looking at me. And I realized that I had just spilled out all of my shame and all of these things to her. And all I could see coming from her was this immense love exuding towards me. It was then that I understood that God was using this woman I admired to show me the way he was looking at me in that moment, in the midst of my pain and my shame, in the midst where I thought all of that was gonna bring me love if I continued performing. It was so beautiful, because I realized God was looking at me and saying, stop, I love you, period. The performance was just an illusion. It was not sustainable. But God was showing me that he loved me and I did not need to perform. And this helped me understand God's love towards me, and that filled me up. If you can receive that type of love, let me tell you then that you will finally understand that nothing else could possibly satisfy you. And if you disagree with me, it's because you have not experienced God's love just yet. It's because tasting the love of God will change and transform every single part of you. It's the real thing. It's not an off-brand sort of thing. And there's nothing worse than tasting something that tastes like the real thing, because you never know if it is the real thing or not. But when you've tasted the real thing, you know You know when something tastes bad. I actually, so I'm a huge coffee fan, huge, huge coffee fan. I, I'd like to think that when I go to a cafe, I'd, I'd love to say that, oh, you know what? You're using Folgers, you're using Maxwell, or you're using like some really good beans. So anyway, so I took a couple of students to a monastery a couple months ago. And monks live a super simple life, super, super simple. And there was this one day the monk was like, all right, next morning I'm going to make coffee for you guys and we're going to go to the prayer at 5 a.m. and so you guys will be fine. So I wake up the next morning and um, I look at the pot of coffee and I'm like, oh my gosh, he said they lived a simple life. I wonder what type of coffee this is. So, you know, I poured the coffee and I drink it and I was like, shoot, this is good. These monks drink real good coffee, right? So, I didn't just drink one cup of coffee, I drank three cups of coffee. So then we go to the prayer and then we come back and he's saying all these amazing spiritual things and and I'm stuck on the coffee. And so then I'm like, so what type of coffee beans did you guys use? And he's like, remember when I told you that we live a simple life? That was Folgers. And I was like, what? How, how did I fall? For, how did I not taste that? I, I pride myself in drinking good coffee, but I was drinking like that thing like water. I didn't realize that I was so tired and so desperate for coffee that I confused, I confused it with something that was not real. And so, there is a danger that comes when you think that you're drinking the real thing. There's a danger because you get so used to it. You get so used to it, and you don't realize that it's the off-brand stuff. But that comes, that comes when you're desperate. That morning, I was desperate for a cup of coffee. So I drank anything that would satisfy and thought it was the real thing. When you're desperate for love, When you're desperate for love, you can confuse anything for the real thing. And that's a danger. That's an off brand sort of love. That off brand sort of love takes on so many types of shapes and forms. It looks like performing, it looks like romantic relationships, it looks like achievements, it looks like identity, it looks like looks, and the list just goes on and on. Now, giving your attention to these things isn't bad, but they have to be secondary because you will never be able to love others well, yourself well, other things well, if God is not your first and primary love. If you make those things first, what will happen is you will abuse them. If you make your romantic relationships first, you're going to demand something of them that they can never give you. If you make your looks first, you're going to demand something of yourself that you can never give yourself. You will, it will never satisfy but when you make God primary, everything, everything falls into place. And it's out of God's love that's primary that He teaches us how to love the secondary things in our life. So, to practice this love that's charity, one, love God. That's the real thing. Number two, love all else in God. When we think of the word charity, Goodwill is probably the first thing that kind of comes to mind for us. Um, But the thing is, the word charity is a much richer word than what you imagine it to be. Because think about it this way. When when you're about to donate clothes and food and and time to to charity, you're giving out of the abundance that you have, right? You have excess amount of clothes. You have excess amount of time that you want to donate to serve others. You have excess amount of this. Well, charity is rich because of that because it's out of the abundance that you have. When you have God's love, you have an abundance of love within you. And so we're called to give that out. First John four eleven states, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And Karen Swallow Pryor so beautifully states, Charity chooses to suffer with, The literal meaning of compassion so to love and to exercise charity unto others means exercising compassion when you have this abundance of love we're called to give it out and the way we give it out is by walking with someone with compassion and compassion means to suffer alongside them And that's a beautiful image of what it looks like to exercise love. A psychologist by the name Paul Bloom declares, compassion, love, concern, and motivation to help others in their suffering is more helpful and healthy than empathy, the ability to feel another's pain. So charity calls us to to not only love God, primary, but also to love others in action and in truth, And again, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. How messed up would it be if someone came up to me and said, Stephanie, I don't have any money and I don't have any food. And how messed up would it be for me to look at them and just be like, I love you. I've been through that too. And walk away. But we, we do that to each other. We're called to love in action. And you know what? Jesus did it first. It's so beautiful that Jesus actually shows us what action is by taking initiative. Because that's what love is. Love is taking initiative. Forgiveness takes initiative. Love is challenging Love is being challenged. Love is not keeping quiet about wrongdoings. Love is more than just words. Love does not lust after someone else's power. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It keeps no record of wrong and it cannot fail you. And Jesus did it first. First John 4, 9 through 10 states, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus showed up for us, and he shows up for us in so many ways, and this is the reason why virtue is such a powerful, or love is such a powerful virtue, is because it helps lead us to every other virtue. Let me show you how Jesus did this, so Jesus, out of so much love for us, decides to enact courage by dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus, out of so much love for us, decides to forgive us in the midst of our sin and our shame, knowing that his love will transform that. Jesus, out of so much love, enacts humility by letting go of his privilege as God and king to come to this earth to show us what it means to be loved and what it means to enact love. Jesus, out of so much love for us, gives us hope, showing us that we can bridge this gap that exists between sin and God because there's no longer this gap here. He gives us that hope. Jesus' love for us shows up through his actions and his truth. And this is love. This love, this form of charity, not an off-brand sort of love. This type of love moves mountains. So, love God as your primary love and love all else in God. And if you love God, it will help you learn how to love everything else in God. You don't want the illusion of it. Believe me, you really don't. And remember that God's love cannot will not, and chooses not to change no matter your circumstance, unlike the things and the people around you. And if you can grasp this, then you'll understand that it is through God that you can love others wholeheartedly. So where is the love? If you know Jesus, it's within you, and it's always been, and will not change the look on its face. It will look at you with so much love, and it's begging to be shared. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much, first of all, for this love that you have bestowed upon us, Father, that continues to change us. God, I ask that we may dare to look at your face in those moments of sin and shame, that we may dare to look at you and realize that you are just throwing so much love at us, Lord. And God, I ask that we may then take courage to do something with that, to do something with that love and to live with our brothers and sisters through their own suffering and through their own pain and to do something about it. Because God, that's what you've called us to do. You've called us to love, to love you and then to love others. God, that's not an easy ask, but I know that you did it first and we thank you for that. So I ask that you may help us do that well throughout our day today, throughout our week, for the rest of our lives. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.